Welcome to the Stargate Archives, buried deep within Cheyenne Mountain. Greetings and welcome to the Stargate Archives and the Stargate Theatre presentation. This time we are going to be looking at the 2015 movie Deadly Voltage, aka When the Sky Falls. This movie stars Mike Dopewood and Elena Huffman, two excellent Stargate actors. It premiered in Canada May of 2015, in Germany January 1st 2016 and in the UK January 15th 2016. Its director was John LeCure. He's worked on Murder Mysteries, The Detectives, Traders, Regenesis. Always like Regenesis. Good drama that was. The writer, René Sancier. He's written Nurses, Orphan Black and Snowpiercer. That is some great writing. <laughs> the composer of the music in the movie, James Mark Stewart. And the stunt coordinator, Nick Alakiotis. No Rotten Tomato scores. I imagine if there was Rotten Tomato scores, it would be low. Right, not a lot to say about this, so we're going to jump straight in. As always, they're going to be spoiled rotten. If you haven't seen the movie, then I would recommend watching it before you hear me prattle on about it. If you have seen it, then you know what <laughs> you know what's coming. Okay then, Deadly Voltage. The movie opens with a Mar Vista Entertainment logo, not a company I'm familiar with. We get the often used trope of the fast clouds writhing across the sky. See ball lightning striking scrapyard as well. Two kids are running through. Boy and a girl. Don't have any names for them yet. Car drives in. The lad looks up. That's my mom. Two women are in the car. And then we see another ball of lightning roll across the ground and vaporise the two kids. My god, they're ripped apart. Blood and guts everywhere. Which is odd considering it's lightning. You'd have thought it would literally fry them, but no, they explode. I sincerely hope that of the two women, it's not the uh, main star's child. Up on the screen, seven hours earlier. So it's going to be one of those movies. Throws you in at the deep end, then rewinds time to explain how you got there. I can take it or leave it. Some of these are done very, very well. Others, it seems to be uh, sloppy, lazy writing. Up pop the titles, Deadly Voltage. And the opening credits are superimposed on some low-key action. Couple are walking beneath a huge number of pylons. Thunder is rolling across the sky, lightning. They look like they're not aware that they're in the middle of a thunderstorm. Which, of course, they're not. <laughs> but maybe the director should have actually told them, you need to get out of here. You shouldn't be strolling along walking your little dog. It looks like a little pug. The woman, she looks up at the pylons. She sees lightning bolt strike it torrent of energy goes flying across it zaps her boyfriend he gets fried he's dead <laughs> oh we're gonna get body count in this movie aren't we we get some more montage different parts of the world some scratchy audio probably taken from news reports explaining that been lightning strikes across the world something is happening globally not good for anyone i'll say this credit to whoever put this montage together they pick some very good stock footage some slow motion footage which is spectacular. Okay then, we're out of the titles, we're into the film proper, and we're at the National Weather Institute. Forgive me for this, I'm watching the Blu-ray, which was sourced from Germany, and all the text overlay is in German, so uh, I'm having to Google Translate all this. We're in the office, here's Jamie, played by Mike Dopud. Mike had a long career as a stuntman, 
before moving on to acting. He played Varro in Stargate Universe, Kirak and Janai Soldier in uh, Atlantis, and six more episodes of SG-1. He's worked on Battlestar Galactica, Arrow, Continuum, Smallville, The 100. Excellent actor. He's talking to his boss, Nigel, played by Ron Lee. He's been in Goodwitch, Orphan Black and The Strain. Surprisingly for such a long career, never worked on Stargate. Jamie is looking to get funding for his research project. Not getting anywhere though from Nigel, who's pointing out that his research leaves a lot of things unanswered. Almost impossible to prove he's onto anything, and therefore no funding available. It'd been nice if, well, I don't know. Surely he would have known what the funding committee would have been looking for. He's obviously a smart man trying to get funding for something he probably knows doesn't deserve it based on the criteria. As a viewer of this movie, we know that his research is probably going to be proven right and disaster is on the way. Nigel wishes him fortune for his research. Happy holiday. He's going away for a while. And mentions a stormfront coming in, so that's going to be interesting. We cut to the office where Jamie is... Well, sulking a little. In walks Laura, played by Angela Bishara. She offers him a little bit of support. Encourages him to take a break, gain a bit of perspective. Edie actually takes her up on it. He starts to pack his bag. She gives him a meaningful look. And he takes his laptop out and his research paper. And yes, he's going on a proper vacation. The first one since his honeymoon. Which says a lot. We cut to a suburban home. People carry her outside. The same vehicle that we saw in the opening sequence. We see a young woman playing a video game, Kylie, played by Rachel Witzman. Her mother comes in, Charlotte, played by Elena Huffman. Tamara Johnson, of course, on Stargate Universe. Abaddon on Supernatural. Also been on The 100, Smallville, Alphas, a long career. Another excellent actress. They talk about a trip going to be taking in about 10 minutes. Charlotte then goes to her son's room where she sees Liam. He's on the phone to his girlfriend. Liam is played by Daniel Magda. And it looks like there's a little bit of drama in his love life. Again, she reminds him they're going to be leaving soon. He mentions that Charlotte will be stopping by to get their gran and meeting up later. Family vacation, but not all going together. Elena in this movie is very much a redhead. If you've seen any of her career, you realise that hair colour is very much dependent upon the role she takes. The van is being packed. Looks like they're getting ready now. Kylie doesn't seem too eager to go on this vacation. At this point, Jamie pulls up. Two of them greet each other. Very friendly, but there's an edge there. And it's revealed that they're divorced. Jamie has got a girlfriend. Because he tells Kylie to sit in the back seat. And when Charlotte asks him why, well, it's because Megan is coming with them. Oh dear. <laughs> Even if you're divorced or separated... One partner or the other, dating seriously or not, it's still going to niggle a little. I've been with Megan for almost a year now. Oh, I'm so glad you can count to one. Because, you know, I forgot after 15 years. Ooh, this is more than a little niggle. Suddenly it makes you wonder why they split up. Regardless, Jamie takes her kids and drives off. Charlotte goes back into the house. And we cut to the scene of her with her mother. Her mother, Millie, is played by Mimi Kuzak. Very well-known actress, you may not know her name, you will recognise her. Recently she's been in Private Eyes, Shadowhunters and Unreal. And you go back in her resume, Sequest, Hill Street Blues. Wow. <laughs> we are allowed to experience the very awkward silence in Jamie's car. Definitely a case of the future stepmother. <laughs> yep, uh, not being very welcomed by the uh, the kids. 
Megan's played by Krista Bridge. She's been in Ghost Rider, 19-2, Killjoys, Republic of Doyle, which is an excellent show, which I would have never heard of, apart from I saw it on Netflix, gave it a go and loved it. Another actress with a resume that goes back to the mid-80s, so she's been around a while, always working. And my guess is that is now the main cast covered. So, how many of them are going to survive? Because they kind of let the cat out of the bag for the two kids. <laughs> Judging by the opening scene, unless it's like the 1930s serials where the episode ends with the main star being killed and then suddenly the next episode miraculously being saved by something that simply was not there on the previous episode. We're back at Millie's house. She's still packing. We see a television in the background with a news report about the death of the young man who was walking his dog with his girlfriend when he was struck by lightning. Tragic. <laughs> Just the start of things to come, I'm afraid. That is kind of reinforced. We get a visit to the Weather Institute. Lots more activity going on. It was almost a date the first time we visited. Now everybody's working. Everybody's looking at displays on the phone. Something's going on. And Laura keeps getting reports about the weather front, which gets bigger every time somebody updates her. So, not good. Not good at all. We get a nice scenic view of a little dirt road, a wind turbine, spinning away nice and fast. Charlotte and her mum drive by, and the wind turbine gets struck by lightning, totally explodes, and one of the vanes slams into the road inches from where the car was. That was a close call. Oh, gosh! Are you okay? Yeah. Are you? Uh-huh. The two women stay inside the car. Charlotte continues to try to call him, but he's ignoring the phone. Always annoys me that does in movies. So many movies these days rely on instant communication, but then you get characters refusing to answer the phone for some bizarre reasons so that the plot can continue. This is just another example of that. Jamie drives up to the holiday home. Can't help feeling sorry for Megan. She's getting stonewalled by both the kids. She must be incredibly uncomfortable knowing that her guy is ignoring phone calls from his ex. But you look at it, you think this was traditionally a family vacation, something that the couple and the kids did. Hiking, woodland stuff. Why they are still doing this now they're divorced. Why Jamie thought this was a good idea to bring his new girlfriend alongside his ex-wife. Yes, there are couples that are very well adjusted to being divorced but this is pushing it a bit especially since it seems that Megan has never really got involved with his kids before or at least not to any great extent we pay a quick visit to the weather institute Laura is very concerned about something she gets Nigel into the main control room we see a bank of monitors and a huge storm front covering the land and guess where the epicenter is yep Chisholm Valley, right where the family are taking a break. Who would have thought? Surprisingly, Megan has a word with Jamie, encourages him to take high to the waterfall, rather than herself. Some bonding time between father and daughter. She explains that her parents were divorced, and when they tried to keep the family together through activities for the benefit of their daughter, it never really worked. She knew they were divorced. She knew they didn't want to be there. It's not the right thing to do. Now a nice little bit of writing, nice little bit of drama, but it kind of slows the movie down and the movie's already fairly slow as it is. There has been a lot of coverage of just driving along the road, scenery moving in the background, constant scenes of lightning and weather issues. This is not a fast-paced movie 
and in many ways if they'd have concentrated on the drama aspect cut down on some of the driving that might have helped a lot but at least we're seeing that megan isn't some nasty piece of work she does have the best interests of children at heart even if like many women who are finding their way in family unit it's going to be difficult hopefully it'll work out before they all get killed <laughs> back at the weather institute nigel is looking at a display i am got a clue what it means but something is bothering him he goes and has a chat with laura and they speak gobbledygook for a, <laughs> a minute or so if the earth is trying to neutralize for positive lightning means the Earth's crust has increased its negative charge. So, either the Earth's core has an increased pressure... Which it isn't. Or... there's a compromised flow of protons from the Sun. Hmm. Now that's top-notch gobbledygook. Or techno-babble. Call it what you will. The viewer doesn't need to understand it, except that something is going on. Laura rings Jamie. Doesn't get through. So, <laughs> Jamie's gonna have to learn about this the hard way. Kylie and her dad are in the middle of the woods enjoying their nature walk. She's still not 100% happy with all things in her life, but I think her dad's enthusiasm is finally getting to her. Liam, riding his town on his bike, he's going to find a phone so he can call his girlfriend, because heaven forbid he hasn't talked to her for three or four hours. Who knows what she might be up to. <laughs> it's at this point a huge bolt of lightning strikes a mailbox near him, and then a tree. He falls off his bike, a guy in the house shouts over, get inside quick and he runs campers inside. A couple live in this house along with their teenage daughter and it is remarkably creepy the look Liam gives the daughter. They don't know each other but you've got a girlfriend mate. You actually rode into town to ring her because you missed her and now you're eyeing up this blonde. Seriously. We do see some news coverage though. Some tower blocks have been hit, people have dead. This is serious. Situation report. Jamie and Kylie are at the river. Megan is back at the cottage. Liam is at a stranger's house, finally talking to the girl that lives there. He's being extra creepy. It's not good. <laughs> you shouldn't just sit and stare at her. That just makes her uncomfortable, mate. Charlotte and her mother, they're driving hell for leather, trying to get to the cottage as clear as possible. And things are starting to get bad. Very bad. For some strange reason, the girl, Bailey, played by Eva Link, grabs her father's car keys, and drags Liam to the car. She's just gone through the point of saying how pointless it would be for him to go out and maybe just get stuck with his sister and his father. Now she's driving there and just gonna be one more person in danger. Don't quite understand this. Doesn't really make much sense for the story. Except people do stupid things in disaster movies, which is always the case. Speaking of which, Jamie sees the cloud activity, notices the pulse of lightning, Looks to see his daughter's paddling in the stream. He shouts to her, get out, get out of the water. Rushes, grabs her, pushes her, and that's when the lightning strikes. And he gets electrocuted and just collapses. Ah, dear. Young kids. Never listen to what they're told. She's going to feel guilty for this, for the rest of her life if he dies. <laughs> but of course he doesn't. Jamie wakes up shortly after. Hell, his hair isn't even frizzled. It's probably given him a boost, turned him into super dad. I know they can't kill the main character of the movie. Probably can't even really maim him very much, otherwise he'd be out of the story. But if you're going to hit him by lightning, there's got to be some consequences. Charlotte and the mother have made it to the cottage where they meet up with Megan. Awkward. They do get some walkie-talkies, figure out that the bike trail, the river, is a place to go looking for them. This is where Megan announces that she will go with Charlotte in the car. We know that because we've seen that. 
and their mother agrees. So, <laughs> the search is on. And more excuse for endless shots of roads and countryside and weather patterns. I hate to think what would happen if you chopped out all this filler material, seeing what the actual runtime of the movie is. The pacing isn't very fast to begin with. I would not be surprised if this movie could be told within 30 minutes. I will give the production team a little bit of credit though. The rear projection for the driving scenes isn't too bad. Obviously fake, but they haven't tried to make it look realistic, which actually works in its favour. To be honest though, the movie is dragging a hell of a lot at the moment. We're cutting between the main characters. Kylie and Jamie are making their way back to civilization. Jamie has hurt his leg. He's limping badly, having to use a crutch. Tried to send his daughter ahead of him, but she wouldn't have any of it. Liam is driving around with Bailey, obviously for some reason, but he must have biked a hell of a long way. <laughs> That's all I can say, if it's taken him this long to drive back. Megan and Charlotte, they've kind of declared a truce, hunting the family. But it's kind of jumping between scenes and nothing much is happening. I hate to say it, but somebody's got to die. More scenes of aimless wandering about. Charlotte and Megan are at the bike path, no sign of Liam. Why would there be? The bike path leads to a place, it's not a destination in itself. Liam and Bailey are continually driving deeper into the woods, finally reach the point where there's a chain across the road, closed, so he knows he didn't go this way. Finally, big lightning forks strike the ground, huge ball lightning gets formed. Well, we know they don't die here, but soon, very soon. The endless wandering is going to pay dividends. Megan and Charlotte are driving down the road. They see Liam's bike next to the smouldering tree and post box. I've got a feeling that the owner of the house is going to be rather annoyed with their son for <laughs> stealing away with his daughter and his vehicle. Oh, my mistake. It's going to be the mother. Your son took my daughter, stole her truck and went back up the mountain. Your, do your daughter? You have to find them. You have to help find them. Finally, Jamie and Kylie get back to the cottage. Millie is sat there worried sick, listening to the radio. 30 confirmed fatalities, hundreds injured. Although I've got to say, the weatherman on the radio seems rather upbeat <laughs> for such terrible news. No doubt he's thinking, network, <laughs> sod local radio. Jamie, Kylie and Millie are in the SUV, heading to the local hospital so they can have a look at his leg. Everybody's in motion at the moment. It's really going to take some miracles to get him to cross paths. Jamie finally makes it to the local hospital. He doesn't look too seriously hurt. They've got him on saline drip. He immediately starts to take it down to get out of there. But Millie puts a stop to that. Gets him back on the bed. But he does get out his tablet. As he says, he's got work to do. Sends his daughter up to one of the upper floors with the walkie-talkie. Trying to get hold of her mother. And then we cut back to the Weather Institute, where Laura and Nigel are once again watching a news report where a ball of lightning has punched a hole right through a residential block, killing four people. Actually got visual evidence of it as well, so <laughs> this is nasty. Hopefully at this point Nigel will actually concede the fact that this is more than just a bad storm. Eyewitnesses described it as a burning ball of white fire. St. Louis County. The fire we reported Same city that sent that video. It looks like ball lightning. Two accounts in one city in one day. And finally, Jamie gets through to him via Skype on his tablet. They give him some of the information. He offers them a suggestion about air pressure at high altitude, ozone layer levels, 
all sorts of technical stuff. Whatever he says actually convinces Nigel that there's some merit to it. He tells Laura to get the readings they need. Maybe they'll be able to predict where this ball lightning is going to be created, where it's going to travel, how fast it's going to travel. Maybe save a few lives. Starting with Lim and Bailey. Because they're watching ball lightning coming straight for the vehicle. They sit there patiently looking at this huge mass of electrical energy burning its way through the forest, cutting through the chain that's blocking the road. They leap out from the car just as the lightning travels under the car, sets its tyres on fire, sets its chassis on fire. How they didn't get burnt or vaporised, I'm not quite so sure. But we know they don't die here. And we see another car in the distance. This looks like it could be Charlotte and Megan. Join the party, girls. I know she's the mother, but you don't run up to a burning car like that. <laughs> you do not. There is a huge gas tank full of petrol. It could go bang. Fortunately, she spots the Rubik's Cube Liam's been playing with all throughout the movie. Realises that he's survived and he's headed off in that direction. And we cut to ball lightning rolling across the scrapyard. The sky is lighting up and this is where we came in. This is where we saw the two kids die. So are they going to actually play through that or are they going to pull a fast one right at the end to let the kids live? Let's face it, killing two kids in front of one of their mothers is a bit brutal, isn't it? Actually, I think I'd like him to do it. So annoying at times when there's a big kill, a main character dies, and ten minutes later they're back. Well, I've got to admit, Jamie's Wi-Fi is spectacularly good. There's almost a countrywide electrical storm, and yet Wi-Fi is unaffected. He's talking with the Institute. They've realised that there is a def definite correlation between atmospheric pressure and the compounds in the soil, which is generating the positive and negative charges, drawing the lightning to the ground, creating the ball lightning, which they've got confirmation of through some CCTV footage. Again, remarkable they're able to access this stuff in the middle of this electrical storm. And they get footage of the scrapyard, which is where Liam and Bailey are. Convenient. We're seeing a lot more of what happened in the scrapyard. The two kids find some shelter in one of the buildings, just as... Charlotte and Megan drive up to the entrance, so we're getting to the death clock is ticking down. <laughs> the two kids leave the shelter, run across to some containers. That's when the mother drives in. Liam's surprised. Probably the last person he expected was to see his mother driving a little people carrier. That's my mom. <laughs> Liam. <sighs> And the two of them stand in the middle of the scrapyard, waiting as if for the hammer to fall. And it does. The ball lightning appears, races towards them, and splatters into them. And we see chunks of something spread everywhere. The two women scream, and they go looking for whatever could remain of them. You have got to be f***ing kidding me. They survived. This huge amount of electrical energy surged right through them, and somehow threw their bodies into a soft area of the junkyard. And both of the kids survive. Yeah, right. If this movie, if the director and the writers had killed these kids, I'd have given them some respect. Now, total cop-out. Jamie is getting restless. He's hearing the call of his research. Nobody's ever got readings on ball lightning like this. Not probably the best time. Well, technically, I suppose it is the only time to get these sort of readings. But his family are missing. He should really be concentrating on them. Luckily, the walkie-talkie actually activates. Here's from Charlotte, they're in the junkyard, fantastic, two birds, one stone, off he goes. Doesn't really say a lot about Jamie though, does it? 
Liam's got his arm trapped under a piece of corrugated sheeting. The two women can't move it. Doesn't look that heavy, to be honest. Hey, Jamie's here. Oh, damn quick. He's got a bit of rope. He, he'll, he'll come to the rescue. He gives his stopwatch to Megan, tells her start timing. He's pretty sure he knows what sort of schedule this lightning is being created at. Science. Ah, <laughs> oh, another opportunity missed. Instead of tying the rope to Liam and dragging him physically out, they're actually tying it to the corrugated iron sheeting and moving that. Damn. <laughs> so much more dramatic if they just wrapped it round his ankles and just pulled him. <laughs> and a little bit of pain in the short term for safety, for survival. You're not going to argue against that, are you? On the upside, this movie has finally got some pacing to it. It's actually rather exciting. They're on a time limit. The ball lightning is running in cycles. They've got four or five minutes to rescue Jamie and get the hell out of there. Everybody's involved. Well, except for Kylie and the granny. But there's somewhere. At least things are happening now. As confirmed when Jamie has a brainwave. He's got an idea that since this area is one huge conductor, he can actually trap the ball lightning here. So he's going to risk his family for the sake of the society. Hmm, noble, but probably a little short-sighted. <laughs> These storms will pass. Lessons will be learned. Save your family. My theory's correct. This VDG ion generator will project a beam skyward, which will attract the lightning to it. What does that mean? It's just an experiment I was working on, but if I'm right, this generator will attract lightning directly to it. Theories, experiments. Can't you get your kids at least out of the way? Just in case. Well, not yet anyway. They pour the liquid near the truck, saturating the ground. He connects some terminals to an aluminium post by the looks of it. He's got his generator out, his suitcase, which has got the control systems in it. Hooks everything up. At this point, he finally sends the rest of the people away to get into Charlotte's car. He's going to follow him in a bit. Energy starts slamming into the ground around him. The machine activates, begins to draw power. The display crashes. To be honest, it looks to me like the damn thing's broke, but Jamie seems happy. Jumps in his truck and he heads away just as a huge amount of lightning is pulled down into this small piece of aluminium, which doesn't pay prize the second it's touched. Whatever Jamie did, it seems to be working though. The lightning is getting more powerful, drawing more energy into this area. Maybe it is working. And as the two vehicles roar out of the scrapyard, huge explosions occur. Containers are flung into the air. Well, one container one CGI container, they evade it, and they get away. It looks like the experiment worked, his uh, theories have been proven true. A Nobel Prize for, is there a Nobel Prize for, well, metrology, but for science, definitely. Jamie could be onto a good thing. They make it back to the hospital, everybody's reunited, including Bailey and her mother, hugs all round. Liam can't have a broken arm because he just says ow when somebody hugs him. If you had a broken arm, you'd be, you'd be uh, a bit more vocal than that, I think. Charlotte and Megan have a moment. Charlotte thanks her ex-wife and maybe future wife. Going to get along okay from now on. Hopefully the kids will embrace Megan a little bit more. But time will tell. As the family enter the hospital, Jamie looks up to the sky. No signs of lightning, a lot of cloud cover. Music cuts in, and that's the end of the movie. Deadly Voltage. Now, the last 15 minutes were pretty good. Fast paced, lots going on, all the characters involved. No real complaints about that. The first hour or so lacked pace. 
wasn't a lot going on. Yes, we got in introduced to all the characters, but way too much time spent just showing vehicles driving up and down roads, showing stock footage of atmospheric events. It needed something extra. And obviously there may have been issues with the, <laughs> with the script and the running time. Hitting this an hour and 24, so it fit into a two hour slot for the sci-fi channel. Yeah, it definitely needed something extra. What? I don't know, because I have no creative talent at all. These guys supposedly have. Both Mike and Elena really needed a better script to work with, because they're quite capable of delivering some excellent dialogue, as we saw from Stargate Universe. Especially those two, they had chemistry there. Here, not so much. Megan, as the new love interest for the ex-husband, worked pretty good. I suppose they could have gone down the route that she may have died, sacrificing herself for one of the kids ultimately allowing Charlotte and Jamie to get back together. Many films would have taken that route, this one didn't. I'm very disappointed they didn't kill off Liam and Bailey. They certainly made it look like they were dead in the opening shot. They definitely made it look like they were dead in the opening shot. Overall, an average movie which really lacked impetus to make enjoyable. Okay then, thank you very much for joining me and my watch of Deadly Voltage. If you've seen the movie, uh, you want to leave a comment about it, do you agree with what I said, let me know. If you want to appear on the podcast talking about a, a sci-fi B-movie that features Stargate actors, again, get in touch, I'd love to have you on. Same goes if you want to talk Stargate. If you've got a favourite episode you'd like to chat about, from any of the live-action series, note I mean live-action, we are not going to talk about Stargate Infinity on this podcast anymore, get in touch. Stargatearchives.com, stargatearchives at gmail.com. We are on Facebook, we are on Tumblr, we are on various social media platforms. Twitter is our primary portal. I'm still using at the Gatecast, which is the podcast we did before Stargate Archives that did its complete run of Stargate SG-1, Atlantis and Universe. RSS feeds for that still exist. iTunes listings, of course. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Google Music, Amazon Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podbay, all sorts of podcast aggregators. If you want to manually add it, we have got RSS feeds you can copy and paste for both Gatecast and Stargate Archives. And if you want to leave us a rating and review, that would be most appreciated. Okay, next time, no idea. My release schedule has expanded a bit. My weekdays are a little bit busier, especially during the summer months. So I may make a choice to go fortnightly instead of weekly. It basically depends on what I'm watching, uh, if I really enjoy it, I might watch it in two or three sittings rather than spread it out over the week. I hope you tune in for whatever's next. Okay then, until next time, I've been Mike. Take care, keep watching and sharing Stargate, and until next time, bye bye <laughs>